Welcome back to Shrinking It Down, Mental Health Made Simple. I'm Dr. Jean Bereson. And I'm Dr. Steve Schlossman. And we're child psychiatrists at the Clay Center for Young Healthy Minds at the Massachusetts General Hospital. Here's what we'll talk about today. Today, we'll be doing our third podcast on the Lesley University Child Homelessness Initiative. And we have two guests today. Um, Becca Mason is a teacher at the Cobbin Academy School in Dorchester, Massachusetts, and she's an adjunct professor at Lesley University. And we have a mother of one of her students, Anne, who had a period of homelessness. And we're going to be discussing the ins and outs of homelessness and its impact on kids and how teachers can deal with it. So, Becca, you came, You were at Leslie before the Child Homelessness Initiative. That's correct. And how did you learn the problems of this very complicated and difficult population? Well, I, I think, you know, it's interesting you said difficult. I think they're, um, they're a needful population. Needful, I think yeah. that's what, what I've come to in my own work. Um, so when I uh, went to Lesley University, my goal was to go out there and really change the world, right? So I worked hard at all my courses and I paid attention. And when I found a great student teaching experience, I basically knocked on their door and said, please let me back in for a job because I had such a great time there. And I initially worked with a Harvard-affiliated child care center where the issues were not necessarily invisible, but um, they were quite hidden under the surface of lots of professors and families affiliated with the university. There's and lots of tweed. Lots of tweed, yeah. uh, lots of you know heavy European accents by visiting scholars. But in general, the kids, their trajectories and their lives were okay. And I got to a point after about seven years of working there where I realized that the children were going to be fine whether I was their teacher or not. And um, and that was a really comforting feeling to know that, like, they've got financial resources, they've got families with educational backgrounds, and for the most part, even if tough times happened, they'd land on their feet. So I started really looking at where could I make my next best impact in the field of education. So I started working at Leslie right around that time and started reading up on Jonathan Kozel and a couple other authors who really look at urban city problems. So not necessarily homelessness in particular, but how do students who come from very poor economic backgrounds deal with the life that they're born into? How do their families cope with situations that are often way out of their control? And how do I play a role in making their trajectories higher and stronger? So I um, found a charter school that I was really interested in, in Boston, in the Brighton area, where they were using a music approach to education. I thought, wow, isn't that amazing? And I I saw the job placement and I said, oh my gosh, every child starting at the age of four gets an instrument. Isn't this incredible? And I went home and I typed up my application and I thought, this is just amazing that these children who are coming from such disparate backgrounds from the ones I were used to, I was used to, how do they do this? How do they create this magic? So these children are just, their souls are lifted, their spirits are lifted. So that was like the, the beauty of their philosophy. But then I got into the classroom. I got the job, thank goodness. But I got into the classroom and I started to meet the families. And I realized that there was a, a human face to all of it, that it, homelessness we often associate with, you know, the, from at least from my generation, the people who would show up at the soup kitchen and they wore old, somebody else's old clothing and they felt really down on themselves. And I think the newer face that I was seeing were 
uh, invisible issues. So I didn't know half of the time that families that I was working with had housing insecurity or homelessness. And I started to ask more questions, which were balancing my respect for how hard they were working just to get their child in clean clothing and out the door every day and what are the issues that come with having housing insecurity. So I started to notice and ask more questions and ask how can I support, what do you need? And um, by the time I, I got to meet this amazing woman next to me, I'd had several years of experience of dealing with families who truly did not want me to know what their struggles were. It was pride. It was personal safety that they just didn't want this to become a label. They wanted to be in charge of their identities. Like, I'm a person. I'm a mom. I'm a hard worker. I'm a nurse. I'm, you know, all these other so, things. So, Anne, does that, does that, you're nodding your head. <laughs> the audience can't see this, but, but you, you're nodding your head. All that rings true for you? Absolutely. Um, with Becca, um, and not to get off of what Becca's saying, but um, I can just remember when this first happened for me and trying to keep it a secret and not wanting anyone to know. And um, actually, my son was the one who kind of said something. I can remember Becca coming to me and, and asking me about it and me being kind of shocked at first because I was, you know, I didn't want anyone to know. And But she just made it See, she made it okay. She made me feel comfortable, and I felt I just felt really comfortable talking to her about it and, and being okay with it. So she made it she made it easier. Do you remember what he said? I'll never forget it. I think it was I'm living in a hotel. Yeah, but he yeah. said, yeah, at the hotel we've got there's two beds and there's DB, yeah. and he w- I think for him it was different than what he was used to, but there was an excitement about the newness of it and yeah. that it was you know special and different and. Honestly, in this population, whenever I hear a child say, and at the hotel we had breakfast this morning, I know that something happened. It wasn't a vacation most often, but something happened that displaced them from where they were. And, you know, to a kid, it's different. It's wild. It's an adventure. Maybe you got food brought in that night or you watch television much later than you normally would. But I think what what I tried to reach out to Anne about was that there's something happening in your life. It's very major. When you're displaced on your own volition, it's stressful. But the preparation for being displaced when you it was not your choice and it's not the best situation, I can't imagine what the stress level becomes. So I think That's my huge. role was preserving that safe space in the classroom and letting her child know that no matter what's happening, we're here, you're safe, our routines are continuing, our expectations are still really high. If you need extra time for anything, we've got it. If you need extra clothing, if you need a new backpack, whatever it was, we would provide for that physical environment and for keeping things normalized for him. But at the same time, I wanted to respect the fact that this is a very emotional thing. Reach out if you need to, but I'm not going to pressure you to share any details because it is so emotional. It's funny. I've been quiet here in part because I was so struck by something you said earlier, Becca, and I want to ask you about this. So, so you mentioned that people from our generation, and I'm a little bit older than you, but not much older. So I do have that image that you described, going to the soup kitchen, wearing old clothes. Um, I mean, I went and worked at those soup kitchens and, and helped folks out. Did it once a year, Thanksgiving, usually. Be nice. We could do this like all year, right? But I didn't have until we got involved with Leslie this image of regular folks. And, I, and it sounds like such an awful thing to say because, of course, they're regular folks. But I just didn't have that image. And um, a, a lot of what has, has sort of happened through this initiative is, is my understanding that um, – 
anybody I run into could be in that group. It's it's not like th- there's a sort of mark that somebody carries. And 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 you're pointing out that actually folks work kind of hard to make it so that there's not a mark, which even makes it that much more stressful. I'd, I'd guess. Yeah, I think trying to keep it from everyone makes it far worse than it probably is. Um, only because I can just think for myself and think. Well, thinking to myself this is not what I'm, it's supposed to be for me. And that's what I would just think. And again, it's going back to thinking about what it looks like or what you think it's supposed to look like. And suddenly it's, you know, it's, it's me. And so it, it was hard. It's really hard. So, so I, there's two things I'd love to hear about. I think we, we all would. One is um, as much as your stories are comfortable letting us know about um, would, would be really interesting to hear. But even more than that, I would love to hear the ways you've been able to, take advantage of what was available to you in the classroom with your lovely son as a function of the educational involvement? Because it strikes me that this particular issue is going to have to have multi-layered approaches. It can't just be one place. It's not just about a roof over your head. It's mm-hmm. not just about food. It's about everybody somehow getting involved. So I'd love, maybe we'd start with your your story. Um. Okay. So I had – there were actually over the past – what are we in November right now? I would say a year ago, a year ago last month, actually, um, I had two different um, times when I actually was homeless. And it all kind of stemmed from, long story short, I was living in a hostile environment. And so I chose to, you know, to leave that environment. And then I was in a temporary place and I try to, you know, get myself back together and, and get where or where I thought I should be at at the time. And so I was living with my sister-in-law. That kind of took a turn for the worse. And so I had to leave. And so that's when I found myself um, living in a hotel for the first time ever. And then I, believe it or not, I got myself back on my feet and found an apartment and I'm, you know, working and doing what people do every day. And um, I got comfortable for about a month or two. I'm like, great. I mean, you know, everything's going great. And then um, the winter came and... The roof collapsed. And so then I was displaced from where I I was, my new place that I found. So it was a little rough, I would say. It was was rough for me only because I felt like, okay, what now? This just happened. Like like I did did what I was supposed to do. I got myself back on my feet and then the the stupid roof collapses. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was, that lasted, that was probably out of my apartment for a month, living in a hotel again. Uh, my son thought it was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> um, so, I mean, for him, not so bad. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, him not realizing what what's really going on. But for me, it was a little tough. But again, as far as school goes, it was the same envir- environment for him. I mean, he never felt like any different. It was just business as usual. The routines were the same. Everything was the same. So for him, as far as school goes... I don't think there was anything that made him feel a type of way that he was uncomfortable. So that's pretty cool. So what you're saying is that despite this, these inconsistencies that were, you know, unfortunately happening to you and your son, when he got to school, that was something he could count on, and you Absolutely. could count on. I Absolutely. Guess, too. So it was a, it was it was a stable place for you as well. Oh as, yeah. As, as Absolutely. Him. It's. Oh, I'm dropping him off at school. It's, you know, everything's going to be fine today and he's going to get what he needs and it's he's going to go through his day and have a good day. And that was that was comforting in knowing that he was going to at least get that during the day. And one of the things we've learned from the Leslie 
Child Homelessness Initiative is that school becomes a central focal point for families and really does provide a kind of a safe haven, as it were, at least one safe haven in, in life that, that, that any, everyone can count on. So that was your experience. Yeah. I mean, I, I know, and I'm, I'm not sure that I told Becca this, but I kind of kept it a secret from everyone else at school. I mean, I don't know how or how who knew or, uh, or what have you, but um, it was kind of probably, I wouldn't say it was between Becca and I, but I kind of felt, I just felt really comfortable in talking to her and being able to express how I was feeling, whether it was highs or lows or whatever the case was. But um, yeah, as far as in the classroom with the teacher, yeah, it felt good. And honestly, the amount that you shared with me allowed me to adjust. Like when you came in and, and it was clear like you had had a tough night or you had had a tough morning, I knew to be more mindful of what he was probably experiencing. Mm-hmm. That either he had a tough night and it kind of stretched your resources beyond what you had or you were feeling like if he was having a bad day that it was going to be tough to have a conversation about it because your resources were stretched. So that that was a period for me of just doing a lot more of lifting him up so that he would have just nothing but joy to share with you mm-hmm. at the end of the day. And I you know, we do this normally with with children. I think we want we want everyone to go home and say, "Today was a great day and here's what he did and here's my drawing and I can't wait to tell mommy everything." But I think especially when you have a child who's dealing with a family in crisis, because it's very real. You put on a brave face, but you know every fiber of your being is trying to just breathe and stay normal and stay calm and just say, like, this is going to be over. Like, this is just a temporary period, and I'm looking forward to the other side. So I think with him and with the school, because I did – the only person I told was our coordinator of the support services for children who were in crisis. And just a really wonderful person who has a social work background – who was prepared to kick in any resources that were ever needed. And the incredible thing, and this is a nod to Anne, and just how focused she was on making her child's life continue to be joyful, she didn't reach out for extra anything. Um, You were just so brave and strong and just did everything you could to get through, like, the worst winter where everyone was just oh, was, grumpy. Yeah. Up, you know, well, just, it, everything it, was harder. It, it is a tribute to, to you, Anne, but if you were to give some advice – to other parents who are in the situation you were in or in crisis, what, what would you suggest? I mean, you had a great, a great resource with Becca and, 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 the, and, 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 and her, her school, but would there be advice you'd give other people to how to stay strong? Well, number one, I would, ho- I would hope they'd have a great teacher to go to like Becca. I think for me, now that the time has passed, it's easier for me to look back and say, hey, you know what, maybe I should have asked for help or talk to someone. But sometimes when you're living in the moment, you're just so caught up in it that it's, mm, I, can, I can handle this all on my own. And that's kind of how I am in general. Not necessarily a good thing, but I just think being open is helpful because if you're trying to do it all by yourself and you have no one to talk to or, you know, the day, I mean, your child's in school in the, during the day, which is, is fine. But at nighttime, it's, it's a struggle. Just like Becca mentioned before, you have no idea what kind of night you're going to have. The child doesn't understand exactly what's going on. Um, so it's, I, I just think reaching out to someone if you have someone to reach out to. And if not, definitely a teacher at school. I got to uh, break the blind here. So Becca and I know each other. We didn't know that till Becca walked in because Becca taught my daughter when she was two years old 
so so I know that this is a very special teacher, and my I'm just I wouldn't say it if it weren't true. Um, and you just found that out today. You, you no, just, I found it out like like 15 minutes ago before we sat down. <laughs> so this, this chair. person walks into right, our, uh, right. And, 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 he, and you just kind of like said, "Oh my god!" Right, and and our daughter hated hated with a vengeance going to sleep. But you know, she remembered and, and, your daughter's name. Well, that's that's the point. And I want how to make. long? How long ago was it? It was 12 years ago. So, it, so or 13 years ago. So it's remarkable that, yeah. that, mm-hmm. that that a teacher would remember a child's name from 12 years ago. And that she could I know get you have a very this, special daughter, Steve. Uh, but no, I, mean, I, I find her very special too, but she can be a real demon. And when she wouldn't want to go to sleep, she wouldn't go to sleep. And she somehow fell asleep in that classroom. So I know this is a very special teacher. The question I got is, um, I can imagine some teachers not necessarily embracing this mission. I, I was a high school teacher, and I remember other teachers that I worked with. And, and people might just say, hey, I didn't sign up for this. This was somebody else's job. So I'm wondering what what advice you would have to other teachers who who find themselves in this circumstance or or what Leslie offers with that regard. It doesn't have to be a commercial for Leslie, but just sure. something that that you would pass on. So I think there's something really important to remember about teaching and if you do it with your whole heart because I think that's where the connection happens. If you think that you're going to go into the classroom and build positive relationships and then go home and turn it off or <laughs> go back to your safe space and – Make that your private space and have it not bleed into what happened during the day. It's not really going to happen. And I balance is something that we all work on, and I certainly don't have it, so I'm not an exemplar for that. But I think what you have to remember is that nothing in anyone's lives is truly compartmentalized that way. And children, all they know is when they come to you that you are a person who's supposed to care for them. And it's not just that they love you because they taught you how to count you know, the the deepest, most meaningful connections I've ever had with children have been about recognizing where they are when they're struggling or when they're joyful and you being right there side by side with them in the moment. So getting your child to sleep, I think, was about being really empathetic about what was the thing she needed, seeing it physically, understanding emotionally, like how would it affect her if she didn't get that thing that she really needed, and just saying, like, I know this is really hard, but it's going to be so good for your body. Let's see Let's see what we can do to help you. And really framing it as the we instead of you should or I think you should, I think really changes the conversation with children and makes them want to try it out. And it shows, like, the kind of empathy you want them to share with others, so I think, you know, the authoritative dictatorship that some may take in their classroom, you know, I love them so much and I want them to, you know, be high achievers. So I'm going to do everything I can to just like pound them into submission so that they can just follow me and they'll learn everything. It'll be great. That sounds like a fun classroom. Sounds really That's fun. A lot of fun. I mean, honestly, there, there are some phenomenal teachers who do take that approach. But, like, but you can feel their love. But, too, but you can feel yeah. – and I think that's that's the piece. It's like the students know that with a little, you know, wry wink that, yes, the teacher's being really, really tough and stern. But my goodness, if that child is struggling, that teacher will turn right around and ask them, like, what do you need? I'm there for you. So I think that's the like the holistic approach. And then you do the same thing with the families. I think, you know, the – the saddest thing about watching children go through the age groups in school is that by second, third grade, families don't even feel like they're welcome in the classroom anymore and that their role is not relevant. And I, I wish that we had more of an approach of your child's education 
is not just about the, what happens once the school door closes, but how do your fam- how does your family feel they have access to the room? How do your family members get addressed by the by the school? How do, do the how does the teacher draw them in? So it's it, it's this real. Um, you know, the three pronged, it's the school itself, it's the teacher, it's the parent or the caregiver, just circling that child with, with this knowledge and love and support. And any family that might feel that, you know, their child isn't getting a really good education might question, well, does that teacher really know my child? And I think that's why really knowing your student, knowing their struggles is what makes that, that handoff feel good. Yeah, so we were. It's like changing the pronoun. You're not going to say you. You're going to. It goes from you to we. Like, like we're all. It's all a big group effort here. And without that, it, it just ain't going to work. Even when you're relaying bad news, like there are a couple times where her son just really just he had these big emotions. He didn't know how to break it down. He didn't know how to put it into words. And I had to call and say, like, we're really struggling because it's not just the child who's in this state. It's what did I do? to get him there or what did I do to not prevent him from getting there or what did I do in response that maybe didn't still didn't fix the problem so I really I don't like putting things on the child because I always say there's no I in teaching even though <laughs> the gerund part the I in part I, I was going to question on that but that's okay keep going but because the idea <laughs> is that if a child has a failure it's on me which makes it really hard but if they have a success it's on them so that's why Again, like the partnership and the thinking about the relationships of every every choice I make and how can I bring in the family? How can I be a support to them? And specifically with folks who are homeless, beyond those incredible things that you're bringing for each kid and family, what would a place like Le- Leslie and his curriculum have that could actually supplement the caring and knowing the child – that you would recommend. I mean, what 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 is what is the curriculum involved? Well, I I so I haven't I haven't been part of the program at Leslie, but now my you know my radar is up because I really want to understand but you more know the what stuff. they're doing as an institution. <laughs> Absolutely, and I think in the end, it's all about understanding the shifts in family structures, understanding the shifts in economics, understanding the shifts and even what are the services available. I was driving in the car the other day and I heard about this new initiative that um, I guess it was defunded a couple years ago, but it was about giving childcare to homeless families. And it, it, I think the reason that, that it stopped is because there was some caveat that you had to have employment first. And so, you know, I think about a family who's trying – the mother's trying to go out and get a job, but they're towing their child along with them. And I don't know. You'd have to be a real saint in order to say, oh, we'll cut through all of this kind of lack of decorum and bringing a child to an interview and we'll hire them because they're just a diamond in a rough and they're on hard times. You can't assume everybody's going to do that. So just the idea that an institution can provide child care so that a family can take care of those other parts – because Anne said it herself, like, it's not just a roof over my head. It's the busing, the transportation for my child. It's what, what does my child do after school when my work hours are longer than their school day is? So where is where's a place that's safe that they can go to? So I think it's a, a teacher's job often is to think of what are these gaps in care and how can I get resources to the family? And doing it in a really like kind, like, hey, there's this program this summer. You might be interested. This seems really cool. One thing that my other charter school did, which dealt with a family who had food insecurity, 
one example was taking the food at the end of our meal periods, collecting it, and this child would bring it home with his brother on their bike to their house. So it's thinking about, like, what are the ways that we can meet the needs of these students and do it just quietly, respectfully, and continue on with their normal day. Yeah. So as, as we wrap up, this is really fun. We could keep going. <laughs> and what I want to give you the the sort of last word here. What? Um, no pressure. No pressure at all. None, on this. none whatsoever. What, what What are your thoughts? As, as we, um, I have a lot of thoughts right now. Um, I'm just thinking about things that probably could be done at schools that may not be done right now, but like Becca said, kind of keeping it so that it's a normal day. No one, you know, no one has to know. Um, the child doesn't have to be, you know, seen as, oh, you know, that child right there or those things are important. Um, and I don't, I just think maybe, and I don't know if there, there's a lack of resources, um, but I just think I would say for all schools, not just the school that my child goes to, maybe there could be some sort of, I don't know, point person where if they're having this issue, they know they can go to them and it's not like telling the whole world. Because for me, I know that the biggest struggle for me was keeping it a secret. Yeah. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. But thanks to my child. (laughs) And I say, I say thanks now, but at the time it was like, you know, and you know, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be all that difficult for a school to have a point person. I mean, there are plenty of people at, at schools that could serve that role. I mean, it's just a matter of being aware of the need, like like you were saying, Becca, like being aware of the need for this. And at our school, we actually do have a person who she serves several roles. Um, she's our main uh, school social worker, and she works from the K one room all the way up to the senior year in high school um, with those students. But we're lucky at our school because we are affiliated with Codman Square Health Center. Um, and it's a partnership that's been as old as our school. And we have an organiz- like a sub-organization within Codman Square Health Center that helps students and families who are dealing with homelessness. So it's an organization that helps kind of track the numbers, checks on housing, makes sure that paperwork or any kind of um, assistance programs that are available are offered to the families and counseling for children if they need it, counseling for the families if they need it. And I think it's a really important kind of benefit of being part of this community that are, that is offered to our families. But the first step is just knowing who these families are and making sure that they're linked up with these services. So this is a hard one to summarize. I'm not even going to try and summarize this. What I'm, what I'm going to say is that, that you know, it's about community. It's about um, recognizing a problem that we actually might not even know is there, but is right under our noses. And one of the ways we can make this community work is if folks listen to this podcast, drop us a line. Let us know what your thoughts are, how, I, what ideas you might have for making this better. Because as I think we've heard from, from Anna and Becca on our own, um, we're not going to be able to solve this. It's going to take all of us. And that sounds all groovy and hippie, but I think that's where we got to go. <laughs> um, so uh, thanks for listening. I'm Steve Schlossman. I'm Gene Bresson. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.